Welcome to Explain to Shane. I'm your host, Shane Tews at the American Enterprise Institute. On this podcast, I interview tech industry experts to explain how the apps, services, and structures of today's information technology system work and how they shape our social and economic life. Data protection and privacy need to be priorities in the world of technology, especially as it pertains to the collection and transfer of user data that artificial intelligence uses. Artificial intelligence, or AI, is used across all industries and has brought to the forefront for both industry and governments the consideration of what is ethical business practices when they're using AI. As governments consider crafting new regulations around specific technologies, they must balance their interventionist instincts with innovation-friendly measures to sustain the technology industry's growth. If the U.S. were to pass a federal data protection law or what is commonly thought of as privacy legislation, what AI-related measures would need to be included? Furthermore, how can we ensure the regulation of AI is done in a precise manner that avoids stifling innovation? IBM is one of the many tech companies navigating the nexus of data protection and innovation. Today, I'm joined by IBM's Chief Privacy Officer, Christina Montgomery, who also co-chairs the company's AI Ethics Board. Christina is responsible for ensuring that IBM's newest technologies are handled in a responsible, ethical, and privacy-friendly manner. She joins this episode of Explain to Shane to discuss how IBM's technologies can be adopted in ways to enhance precision regulation that would benefit AI and other technologies on the horizon, especially under the next administration. Christina, thank you so much for joining us today. As IBM's Chief Privacy Officer and Co-Chair of the AI Ethics Board, you are responsible for ethical stewardship of AI, as well as responsible use of technology. I was just so excited as I was reading your background to see that IBM has put so much thought into that and have you in charge of it. So I like that your guidance around ethical privacy and security considerations are part of not only AI, but IBM's global leadership. Can you walk me through that and what that means? Yeah, I mean, this is a critical topic for us at IBM because we've been earning the trust of society and our clients for more than a century. So we embrace our obligation to be trusted stewards of technology. We've responsibly managed their most valuable data and worked to earn the trust of society by ushering in powerful new technologies with clear and constructive purpose. That's sort of our mantra here, right? So While technology, including technology powered by AI, makes our lives easier and more convenient, recently raised legitimate concerns about privacy and safety and fairness. And so we're guided by principles, which reflect the values that have guided generations of us at IBM in the development and deployment of these new technologies, as I mentioned, with clear purpose, responsibly for generations. And the principles are... The purpose of AI is to augment, not replace human intelligence. We've been very clear on that point for a number of years now. That data and insights belong to their creator and that new technologies, including AI, have to be deployed in a transparent and explainable way. So these principles are easy to understand, but you know they're not always as easy to put into practice. So We find that they're principle for setting our direction and sort of guiding us and establishing guardrails, but they're not enough alone. You have to put mechanisms in place to live up to them. So at IBM, our journey is essentially threefold. We put our principles to work across our entire business by translating them into practice and then advocating for policies that are consistent and aligned with them. And I have the privilege of leading that effort via the AI Ethics Board, which I co-chair. The board is infusing our principles and ethical thinking into 
business and product decision-making. The board's the mechanism by which we hold our company and all IBMers accountable to the values and the principles I spoke about and our commitments to the ethical development and deployment of technology. It gives us a way through the board to ensure centralized governance and accountability while still being flexible enough to support decentralized initiatives across our global operations. You know, that's no small thing because we're a company with about 340,000 employees operating in 170 countries around the world. So through the board, we provide a two-way engagement, we promote best practices, we conduct internal education, and the board also leads our participation with various stakeholder groups worldwide through different functions in IBM. So the board will look at business opportunities that come through to ensure consistency with the principles I spoke about. But we're also very forward-thinking, outlining how we think about emerging technology issues like neurotech, for example, focusing on thought leadership, focusing on policy leadership, and then on the business side of the house, business leadership. On the other side of the coin, it's not just about us, right? Being a responsible steward of technology means providing others with the tools that they can use to be responsible stewards themselves. So more and more companies are asking for help in this area, wondering how they can ensure that their business is fostering transparent and accountable AI. So we've been advancing things like the concept of AI fact sheets. And we just announced that we'll be commercializing those capabilities and that methodology for our clients as well. That's something like, you know, you think of an ingredients list. That's like an ingredients list for AI, so to speak, or a nutrition label for AI. And organizations can use these fact sheets to help build trust throughout the AI lifecycle. They provide critical information for AI users about the purpose, the performance, the data sets that went into training the AI, and characteristics around things like bias and explainability. So again, this is consistent with our principles and particularly the belief that this kind of transparency is really necessary and important when AI systems are used, particularly in the context of high stakes decision-making AI sort of applications. I think that transparency is really key. I really like that you guys are living this out loud, especially when it comes to artificial intelligence. A lot of it's behind the curtain. And so people are in this trust us, you know, we have yep. your interest at heart, which is a little hard to do, but also that you, you know, as you started by saying the data belongs to the creator, which is, you know, as we know, our social media colleagues are having a lot of challenges in that area right now because you don't know who you're giving this data to. And, and I think that's a huge principled idea that you guys have there. I hope that populates amongst other, you know, tech companies. Now, when you talk about you know, potential ethical problems in your board, how do those get raised up into the level that you guys should be taking a view of them? So a good example of this would be probably in the context of COVID-19. And I'll kind of walk you through that. So we saw when COVID-19 happened at the beginning of the emergency, we had a lot of well-meaning folks within IBM And we wanted to work with clients and governments to ensure that we were applying technology and expertise in ways that can make a meaningful difference. So we started looking at how can we do that while still focusing on the promise of responsible technology. Because again, as you mentioned, you know, this is a lot of this is about trust. And without trust, society is not going to embrace the technologies that could have been helpful to address the pandemic. So we had folks throughout the business looking at and exploring solutions like contact tracing and exposure notification, fever detection tools, technology that can manage and monitor social distancing, 
health passports. And so we took our principles at that time a step further and adopted firm guardrails, which we published externally that dictate how we would and would not apply technology in response to the public health emergency. So we essentially came up with through the ethics board and through the opportunities that we were reviewing here at IBM, limitations that pledged, you know, that in any solutions we deployed, we would be transparent and limit the amount of data collected for the specific purpose, provide strong protections for privacy and security, offer a commitment to ensure that the use of our technology is lawful, fair, inclusive, and non-discriminatory. We deployed terms and conditions to be used in any business opportunity that we were involved in around the COVID-19 technology as well. Again, to ensure that we weren't just talking about this guidance, but were ensuring that it was incorporated into the rules of the road as we entered into opportunities around the world and deployed our technology. So we were very, again, it's on this point of transparency. We were very transparent about the rules that we were applying. We provided our business with tools and guidance and actual contract terms to ensure that we were lining ourselves up and carrying through on those principles in our business. And we published those externally for the world. And it comes back again to, I think the pandemic in a way reinforced that technology solutions can be very helpful, but they have to be deployed with the highest ethical standards so that they can promote trust without infringing privacy and fundamental rights. So we were very focused on that. You highlighted that in a letter from the IBM CEO to President-elect Biden, especially several policy initiatives you recommend and one to see continued in technology innovation. And you noted the the help you guys are doing on COVID-19 in a way that we should continue to adopt, you know, in other parts of government. And I noted that one specific area is around modernizing digital infrastructure, which I'm a huge fan of, but also promoting sustainability towards that goal. You need to highlight and continue an open and secure network ecosystem. So the work that you're doing with your board, I think is an amazing example. And we're also that, you know, you talked about the need to include hybrid cloud IT infrastructure. We're definitely seeing a lot more of that in the private sector and hopefully seeing that the government seeing the efficiency of that, you know, in the public sector. So can you give us some examples of what you've learned through the pandemic that you think we should take away and hope the government adopts as we go forward? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we've really learned that from a practical perspective, you have to have a North Star which is for us, our principles and our guardrails. And then you have to be able to ensure that you're carrying that through in your practices in a practical and effective way. And you have to ensure that you're scaling those. And I think that that's true, you know, regardless of the technology deployment, but it's even more important when you have a technology deployment that can sort of, I guess, replicate anything you might be doing wrong or inconsistent, right? With the rules that you're setting for yourself early on. So we were very cognizant of ensuring that this was not a time where we were going to compromise on our principles and our values, but rather we were going to ensure that we were embedding those principles and values. Because if there's ever a more important time to sort of stick by them, it's in a time of crisis like this. That's a really great point. Moving on to data protection, which I always say is commonly confused with privacy, (laughs) not quite the same thing. They have really forced some major changes in how data is processed and retained. And 
you noted in the beginning, you, you recognize that and, you know, how you see things are, you know, belong to the people that use your technology. But we've, between the California Consumer Privacy Act, the CCPA, and then Europe's General Data Protection Regulation, the GDPR, have they influenced your product development and how you're working with your clients? Yeah, I mean, I would say absolutely, you know, for any company that's operating on a global perspective, right, it would absolutely have to. I mean, to back up, you know, we've been at the forefront of privacy and responsible data stewardship at IBM for decades. You know, we've had a CPL just last week, we celebrated 20 years of having somebody in my role as a chief privacy officer at IBM. We were the first company in our industry to appoint a chief privacy officer. And we had data responsibility principles that predated the trust and transparency principles that I I mentioned earlier. But legislation like the GDPR essentially had companies like us have to scale that program on a global basis and move beyond compliance to deeply embedding privacy within our business and within our strategy to essentially be proactive and strategic around privacy and to look at the broader lens of it's not just about privacy, it's really about data. And so we take an integrated approach to data that I think increasingly positions us for a world where data is becoming increasingly a source of value, but also a source of risk. And technology is advancing so quickly that sometimes regulation can't necessarily keep up, or at least there's a perception of that. And so What we've done at IBM is to differentiate us right across both dimensions of privacy and then tech ethics. My team and the CPO moved from our legal function into our business and we're well integrated into the business, hand in hand with our chief data office, our security business unit as well, our legal team, our policy team, because we recognize this issue is bigger. It's really about data. And the risks associated with it. So we want to understand across the company what data we have, where it is, how to unlock value for it, all at the same time while ensuring we're compliant with regulations, but also protecting our data from adversarial attack, reputational attack, and the like. So it's a very broad perspective that we take here and an integrated approach that we take really to, to data as a whole. Do you think that this may be the year that we finally see a federal privacy law? Huh. I don't know, but I do know there's a lot of discussion and there does seem to be bipartisan agreement that a law is needed. The question, you know, becomes whether that happens in the next year, but we've been clear for a long time now, we strongly support national legislation to protect consumer privacy. We've actively been encouraging Congress to make this a priority. We hope that it happens this year. We need a framework that provides strong data privacy protections that all Americans deserve and builds consumer trust and confidence. We think this is essential to a modern digital economy, right? So the states creating their own rules of the road makes it very difficult to navigate a patchwork. It's confusing for businesses. It's confusing for consumers, more importantly, who have to now understand rules that may change depending on the state they live in or the state from which they access the internet. So we are really strong advocates for a national law that's going to provide consistent protections for consumers, hold companies accountable for protecting consumer data, and establish a stable policy environment that supports innovation in that space as well. You know, just to say a couple more points on on a national law, we think a focus on this should be around transparency. 
consumers deserve to know what data is being collected, how it's going to be used and shared, how long it's going to be stored and the like. They deserve the right to exert control over their data, meaning the right to access it, to delete it, to opt out of having it collected in the first place. And it's also becoming clear that a national privacy law has to contemplate the need to sunset some data collection, particularly those that are put into place for an emergency like COVID-19, for example, but might not play an obvious role post-pandemic. I'm hopeful and encouraged and will continue to, to advocate that something does get enacted this year. Yeah, I'm, I agree. I actually, I keep a collection of all the letters I get about data breaches, <laughs> which yeah. have been several lately that are pretty big and they, some of them have a lot of medical information. But I always am cognizant of the fact that the reason why I'm getting those letters is because of a California law and that we don't have a federal law on that, which is confusing. And I always, the other yeah. example I think of is mobile. I'm sitting here in Washington, D.C. It's very easy to state hop here. It's almost impossible not to. So, you know, if I go to Virginia or if I cross the border to Maryland or I go up to Pennsylvania, you know, the rules of engagement on my mobile device could change on those apps, you know, by the hour or by the half hour, depending on how fast I'm driving. And that's exceptionally confusing to not only the app developers, but to the consumers. And then, yes, I'm a data bloat as I think of it as this, you know, not all that information is valuable. And if you actually had to be cognizant of the amount of information you have when you have to say, I think, you know, did that letter just cost them the amount of a first class postage and that was it, you know, because that's not really a barrier to keeping your information behind a good solid wall. So maybe this is the year I'm, I'm hopeful for that. Different topic, though, another point in your letter to the Biden administration, you talked about precision regulation as an part of the emerging technologies like AI. What is precision regulation the way you define it? Yeah, I mean, I think, look, AI is ubiquitous today. It's everywhere. It touches all of us. And absent regulation, there is the risk that AI could be misused. So just look at technologies around facial recognition and applying them in the context of mass surveillance, right? But on the other hand, a blanket ban on a technology could cut society off from the many benefits that AI has to offer. You know, for example, drug discovery that was utilized in a lot of the research that applied AI in the context of coming up with a vaccine. So we need to strike the right balance, one that prioritizes transparency and trustworthiness while pushing technology forward, but also being cognizant of the ways that it can be misused. And so that's why we're advocating for this precision regulation approach that can help create ethical guardrails for the use of new technologies without hindering the pace of innovation. So for AI specifically, every industry uses AI and has many unique characteristics. It would be virtually impossible to create the same rules for everyone. That's why we're advocating for a risk-based governance framework for AI based on three pillars. Accountability, so something that's accountable, proportionate to the risk profile of the particular application and the role of the entity who's providing, developing, or operating the system to control and mitigate the unintended or harmful outcome for consumers that could come from an AI system, transparency and where the technology is being deployed and how it's used and why it comes up with certain recommendations, and then fairness and security validated by things like testing for bias before AI is deployed, and then retesting it as appropriate throughout its use, especially when automated determinations are being made in high-risk applications. And then building from these three pillars, our approach, precision regulation, called for 
five policy imperatives as well for companies, whether they're a provider or an owner of an AI system or both. And these are, you know, companies should designate a lead AI ethics official. So somebody responsible for these pillars within the company, there should be different rules for different risks. So as I mentioned, AI is sort of ubiquitous. Not every application has risk, so they shouldn't be viewed the same way, but there should be different rules for high-risk systems. Don't hide your AI. This comes back to transparency, right? Be very transparent when you're using it. Explain it. So no black box. Let us know how AI came up with a particular recommendation or a particular decision. And then really critically importantly, test it for bias. So these are the policies we think would vary in robustness according to the level of risk that's presented by a particular system. We recommend conducting an initial risk assessment based on the potential for harm associated with the intended use and the level of automation involved, for example, if there's no human involved. And and we're sort of firm believers that there should be human oversight. And then whether an end user is substantially reliant on the system based on the end user and then the use case for which the system is being deployed. Those are all, I just took a lot of notes. The risk-based, <laughs> accountability, transparency, fairness, and security yeah. are fantastic. And then your five policy imperatives. Actually, when you're talking about a lead AI official, it made me wish that Silicon Valley, the show, <laughs> would come back because they were always good at showing like how horribly wrong technology could go. And actually, I think it informed a lot of policymakers like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that had not occurred to me. And so I think, especially around the you know, having a human element, we have definitely incorporated that in a lot of our defense department work that we do with drones and and certain things that we have not seen some of our other nation states do. And I think of China when I say that, but definitely very important. Well, so you have given us a lot to think about as we go into 2020. Are there any particular policy developments you see on the horizon we should be watching for from your you and your IBM teammates? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we're really pushing for and hoping to see in 2021 is a strengthening of international cooperation on AI regulatory policy. So it would be great to see international cooperation on initiatives like NIST's AI risk management framework. So this is currently under consideration in the NDAA. And it's a great mechanism for how government, industry, and civil society can advance a constructive and consensus-based conversation about this important technology. As adoption of AI is increasing its development and its proliferation is going to drive developments in non-tech industries as well as technology, right? So AI has recently become a major focus for countries around the globe. So from South Korea to the US and from the EU to Brazil. And so it's so important that we continue to build on existing international collaborations like the OECD Policy Observatory and the Global Partnership on AI, and then new initiatives, as I mentioned, the NIST AI Risk Management Framework to drive consensus on frameworks. We have such a patchwork in terms of privacy regulation because of the way it's evolved in its enactment around the world. It would be great to see more uniformity around frameworks to address AI. And so that's an area that that we're going to be active in in 2021. That all sounds like really great guidance. I'm a huge fan of NIST's work. They've done some exceptional work starting with cyber. And they just, I know they have something out on IoT that I think they're in review for right now. Well, Christina, we look forward to seeing the good work that you and your team are going to continue to do going forward. And I just want to thank you for being a guest on Explain to Shane today. So we have a whole lot to think about. 
Thank you so much, Shane. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of Explain to Shane. For more episodes, subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your preferred listening platform. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and tell your friends and colleagues to tune in. We'll see you on the next episode of Explain to Shane.